You're listening to the Irish Times Roisin Meets podcast. Welcome back to Roisin Meets. My guest today could become an Oscar winner this weekend and it's not the first time that Nora Toomey's Irish animation company Cartoon Saloon has been nominated for an Academy Award either. In 2010, they were in the running with The Secret of Kells. In 2015, Song of the Sea was nominated and this year they caught Hollywood's attention with The Breadwinner. This is Nora's first Oscar nomination as a director. The film is based on Deborah Ellis' novel of the same name and Angelina Jolie is an executive producer on it. Of course, I asked Nora about Jolie, but we also talked about a lot more, including how she got started in animation and very importantly, what she will be wearing at the Dolby Theatre in Hollywood this Sunday evening. First, though, I asked Nora to describe that feeling of finding out that you've been nominated for an Oscar? Uh, my first thoughts were very slow. I think first off, I just thought I heard the, the you know, the breadwinner in my head and I didn't want to do that jumping up thing because I was aware that somebody's phone was on me at the same time. So I said, better not be the first to jump up just in case it was just in my head. But um, no, sure enough, everybody started jumping up and, and clapping and that. So uh, it's just, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's really, really wonderful, I, I have to say, but I think it'll take maybe years to sink in that um, that uh, we were nominated for an Oscar for the breadwinner you know yeah. so I mean you're heading off to LA hmm. and is this all about finding the dress to wear and all those things is it like you know is it just like you'd imagine it to be um I'm an old hat <laughs> this kind of stuff we, we we've been uh, Oscar nominated three times at this point so with the secret of Kells with song of the sea and with the breadwinner this is my first time um, being centre stage and on the 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 nominee side of the red carpet as opposed to the just hanging on, you know. So you've uh, gone, gone from hanger on to yeah. actual nominee. <laughs> that is a big, that's a leap, isn't it? It, it is a bit, uh, a bit of a, a leap, all right. So yeah, I mean, it's it's been it's been great. Um, yeah, I do have the dress fairly sorted um, with a, a designer called Laura Jane Halton who used to be a furniture designer so she suits me down to the ground because I'm a bit like an old couch so uh, you know I just need a new bit of upholstery and I'll be fine um, so and she, tell yeah. me about her she's a really really talented uh, young Irish designer you know I met her um, a couple of years ago with uh, when we were um, nominated for the Song of the Sea and yeah she made me a beautiful dress that felt like a tracksuit but it looked like the most glamorous I'd ever been in my life I um, think tell us about it describe the dress it was a, it was a floor length black gown with lovely gold detail in the front and in the back as well so it yeah it uh, I left it in her capable hands so I don't really know I think it's a it's a navy uh, kind of a dress so okay. yeah so but um, really you just you're that I'm not saying not interested but you kind of trust her that much I'd that you say probably off you go I'd probably put her off because I would probably describe the most dowdy thing that I could possibly you know uh, that she could possibly design <laughs> you know and I would so I don't want to handcuff her in that way so I think just let her off so no I'm getting the sense that you're not one of these people who is very uh, you know oriented that way in terms of what you wear and all that kind of stuff once it fits I'll be happy enough once I can breathe and once I don't stumble over myself I'll be fine so you those know? are the so, two things yeah, yeah. You <laughs> those are my criteria um, well listen tell us a bit go back a bit for me because I think it's it's incredible you've been at the Oscars three times now um, for various different reasons this is your first directorial mm. kind of nomination probably the first of many I'm sure but how what about growing up where, where was this kind of a passion for you from an early age or what um, kind of things were you into as a child 
I I loved Disney films when you could get them on RT, you know, maybe on the, the Saturday afternoon every now and again there'd be one instead of the nature documentaries, which were also fantastic, but I, I loved the animation yeah. more and used to cross my fingers and hope that, the, you know, a princess film would come on or something. So, I mean, I, I loved animation. I never really saw it as a career or something that I would get into or anything like that. There was no industry at all, really, in Ireland at the time. As I became a teenager, Don Bluth had moved uh, to Ireland and had made films like An American Tale and, uh, you know, the the, some really uh, gorgeous films. I was a classically trained animator who had come from Disney to set up his own studio. Um, and so th- they were big employers in Dublin at the time. Um, when I left college, they... So what did you do in college? Oh, I did. I studied animation. I had yeah. left school when I was 15. Why did you leave school so early? I was sinking, you know. I I was very introverted still am but I've learned to deal with it you know um so uh, my father had died the previous year I was taking more and more days off trying to you know run up the fields instead of you know heading out to the car for school so um, where did you grow up I grew up in Middleton uh, in Cork um it just uh, the, we we grew up on a farm and yeah I mean I the school in the 1970s and 80s you know mightn't have been the most ideal I guess if you were a little bit more creative and not not so into learning off facts and figures and uh, theorems, etc. Um, and how did your father die? He had cancer, so he, he died. Yeah, he was he was sick for a couple of years, yeah, and uh, and he passed away. So And I mean, 14 is a pretty, I think, hard age, uh, any age is, but, you know, at that age when you've known somebody yeah. well, uh, what are your memories of that time, like, in terms of how it affected you? Oh, I remember him being sick. I remember us not really talking about what was the matter, you know, and it was that generation certainly where you don't mention the word and, you know, cancer and you don't uh, you don't really speak about that much. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, um, yeah, it's it's difficult, I guess, going back. I mean, I don't it's not something I think about uh, daily. I do think about my dad, of course, but but that particular time, I guess, was difficult, you know, just to watch somebody uh, waste away and not really understand what's going on, I guess, or or whether it's something that's going to change for the better or the worse, you know. So. Um, so, yeah, that was that was that was tough. Uh, there was seven of us growing up, you know, so we were good, you know, the big family. We were close. We lived on a, a farm. And to me, that was a real ideal childhood. You know, I loved fields. I loved animals. I loved apple trees and hedgerows and, you know, all of these kind of things. So so for me, that's what I used to think about when I was in school, you know. <laughs> and when you say there was running off the fields, like was it literally running out, out, out the fields so you wouldn't be found to go yeah. to school? Well, this is it, yeah. My I poor, love it, though. I mean, I love well, it. Well, no, yeah. I know, I, mean, I know. I'm sure looking, it wasn't as romantic as that. No, like and, and looking at it now as a mother, you know, <laughs> from the other perspective, it's not, yeah. It's no, not it's not ideal, but no. <laughs> it's very famous five years. It's very kind of, I like it. Yeah, no, I yeah, I, I loved yeah, I loved uh, you know farm life, and I loved um, I loved summer holidays. So I just wanted my summer holidays to last forever, you know. <laughs> and going back to the introverted part, I mean, being someone who you obviously had your own internal world a lot, and and clearly the nature and just being and doing mm. all that stuff was well, what what inspired you or excited you. So school is very the the opposite of all that freedom. It is, it is, yeah. So, I mean, and and again, I suppose looking at it from a mother's perspective now, I see that, you know, there are so many different ways of uh, of being intelligent. There's so many different ways of, uh, you know, of displaying it, you know. And at the time, I guess you felt, I, I felt very much, you know, shoved into a particular 
you know, mode of, of, of being, which I didn't really, you know, I didn't really fit with and I couldn't articulate it at all. So it felt invalid in a sense, I guess. So uh, so because of that, I used to try and express it through drawing. I would try to just create my own little worlds in the back of my copy books and that and to just try and exist in that, you know, and that's not possible, of course, you know, so the, the real world kept crashing up against that uh, quite a bit of the time. So. So, yeah, I mean, uh, eventually I just faded away from school. It's not it wasn't a big dramatic thing. I wasn't like the bad girl in the class or anything like that. I was just I just faded away and just refused to go for a finish, you know. And so. what about your mom then, I suppose, being on her own with the seven kids? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And having to deal with, you know, one of them. I don't know if there was a few of you running off in the fields, but certainly you sort of saying, you know, I'm I just not going to do it anymore. The school thing must have been hard for her to. Yeah, but she was always a very kind woman, you know, and always very uh, understanding. And she, I think, probably instinctively knew that she had to just let me find my own way, you know. So she did um, uh, let me leave. I was 15. I quickly, I used to work on the farm quite a bit, but I I quickly found a job with a a doll maker in, in Middleton. This uh, lady, Judy Cuddy, used to make these porcelain dolls and she asked me, would I come and work with her? And I did. Um, And it was amazing. You know, it was really low paid. Um, It it was working in a little workshop and, you know, kind of a a very uh, foresty kind of part of Middleton, you know, but it was it was it was lovely. I would. pour porcelain into moulds in the morning and then I would take them out in the evening time and you know it was like kind of an Elvis and the shoemaker kind of existence so for me it was perfect because it actually built my confidence a little bit you know and and helped me uh, be creative and uh, you know I was uh, encouraged for that you know which was was really nice so and and I was earning a little bit of money you know and uh, that was really nice so I, I from there I went to work in a factory for a couple of years then to try and earn money you know <laughs> what kind of factory it was a vegetable factory you had to it was uh, for drying vegetables and freezing vegetables so I had to watch conveyor belts go by and uh, I used to have to pick out the little black bits in the vegetables but it was strange because there was so much machinery there you had to wear uh, earplugs and headphones over that so you couldn't talk to people for like you know you'd be on 12 hour shifts maybe night shifts couldn't talk to people um, so again you could just escape into your own head so I used to make up universes you know and and just uh, and exist in those for the, the while watching the, the vegetables go by in the conveyor belts you know yeah. so would you said you were quite a sensitive person then uh, or um I, yeah very much so I mean to, to this day I'm, I'm still extremely um yeah <laughs> sensitive um, and will always imagine what people are thinking and that's <laughs> so I, I I've learned to deal with that over the years you know and and learn that uh, yeah you know that just dealing with it, I suppose, has been a constantly evolving uh, thing, I guess. But I mean, um, being introverted, you know, I would say half the world is introverted, you know, and it's not for years. I used to think that it was something that you should get out of and you should not be introverted. You should, you know, the, the, the goal was to be extroverted or to be able to deal with that. And that's not the way you just you just have to be comfortable in your own skin. So, you know, I, I like to listen more than I do talk. But that's just me. And it's, there's a lot of has been written about introverts in recent years. I don't know if you've read any of the books, but there's been a lot of books on that and about mm. how actually um, there's such a power in it, too. And in the listening and the fact that people should own their introvert yeah. nature rather than try and, as you say, run away the opposite well, direction. You know? Well, absolutely. But you absorb quite a bit as an introvert as well, you know, and you, you take in so much. So then to be, you know, to 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 you can express that through drawing, through storytelling, through, you know, script writing, whatever, you know, um, it, it can come out. It doesn't all have to just, you know, <laughs> to, to come in. So there are different ways of expressing yourself, certainly. And uh, and yeah, I, 
I'm an introvert. So when you're in the vegetable factory, you know, creating all these worlds, was there any thought in your head of a trajectory of what you were going to do? Because you'd kind of got out of the academic thing by leaving school. Mm. So ideas of college or anything like that, were they kind of, no, I've, I've, I've shut that door? Or what were you thinking? Mm, no, I, I, I was thinking of ways back in, you know, back into education and ways of uh, trying to draw for a living, you know. Um, I think that was that the, the, if I, I felt that if I could do that, that that would be something really amazing, you know. Um, so I I was saving up my money while I was in the, the factory. I made a promise to myself around that time that I wouldn't find something that I like to do where I would never notice time passing by. I think, you know, when I was working in the factory, I used to wait for the shift to be over and I would count down, you know. 59 minutes you know all the way down to the last uh, to the last minute so I, I wanted to not do that for the rest of my life so I thought if I could find something where I would just get lost you know that I could lose myself in something that 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 would be my goal or my ideal so um so I started to put a portfolio together. I talked to one of my sisters who was also very artistic and she talked about what she'd been learning in school, you know, about uh, drawing and putting a portfolio together for college. So she helped guide me. And um, yeah, I, I put some paintings together with uh, some drawings and that and took them to a foundation uh, course in school, Stefan Neffa, Kolosh de Stefan Neffa in Cork. And um, they took me in for a year and I did things like ceramics and, you know, textiles and, you know, all, all of these different disciplines. And there I met some other people who were going to Ballyfermot. They wanted to apply to Ballyfermot for the college there. And so I went along and uh, also filled out an application form. And that's and that was to study animation, to study animation. So what yeah. year are we talking about then? It was 1993 or something like that, I think. Probably, I, yeah, I went into to animation. And when you started in animation particularly, did, did it feel like this is, this is the thing that I could get lost in or did it take a while or was it immediately apparent this is the kind of art I'd like to be doing? Um, I felt a little out of my depth, I suppose, because, you know, when I was in school, it was like, oh, you know, you'd be the good girl at drawing in class, you know, kind of thing. And the same when I was working in the factory, it was like, oh, you know, I was a Sunday painter and all this kind of stuff. So so suddenly to be landed into it, uh, a room full of, uh, you know, brilliant uh, drawers, you know, and draftsmen and women, um, this, they, that was pretty incredible. And I felt a little bit at sea again and thinking, wow, am I ever going to be able to, to catch up? I remember hearing an expression, somebody said, something about an animatic and I was thinking gosh I don't know what that is but I don't want to ask what it is because it'll you know it'll uh, it'll uncover how ignorant I am of, of, of all of this stuff so um, so yeah I mean that was it took me a while to kind of you know for my head to surface above water and then to just uh, really enjoy it but when I started to enjoy it it was just incredible because I was realized I was surrounded by people who just loved drawing you know and loved um, storytelling and you know so that was that was incredible. So how long was that course? Uh, in Ballyfermot, I think I was there for three years and there I met Tom Moore and Paul Young, who I still work with today. They're my partners in Cartoon Saloon. Tom had been talking about um, this film that he wanted to make it make about the, the Book of Kells and he wanted to gather as many people with him as possible to go down to Kilkenny and to try and make it, you know. Um, so during those three years, he kept talking about you know the, the the story, and then we st we all started you know contributing drawings to this, and it was just a tremendous energy and enthusiasm about the whole thing. So um, so yeah, that's where I, I really I think found my feet. So you went. Um, did you set up Cartoon Saloon then? Did he set it up already, or how did it work? Um, Tom and Paul had been 
doing some work for like CD-ROMs and things like that in their in their bedroom. I think uh, during the the final years of college. Well, I worked in brown bag. I finished a year ahead of them, so I worked in brown bag for a year back when Alan Shannon. Um, who went on to form Jam Media uh, was making a short film called The Last Elk so I went to work there with uh, Cahill and Doc um, for a year yeah before before Tom and, and Paul finished and we all went down to Kilkenny together and you set up Cartoon Saloon together or had they already set they up they had yeah they'd incorporated the name definitely I think at that point um, and uh, so but there was about 12 or 13 of us all went down um, to Young Irish Filmmakers uh, where Young Irish Filmmakers were an organisation that that is uh, still going strong they were set up in Kilkenny back in Tom's youth I think like, and they basically Mike Kelly who, who, who ran the organisation used to put equipment uh, film equipment into the hands of teenagers and you know uh, tell them to crew up and go make films around Kilkenny and they did and um, it gave them a, a huge confidence I think um, and I think that's where it, I think Tom gets a lot of his his confidence and his enthusiasm for for film. So uh, Mike gave us a room and he set up some kind of um, a grant scheme, I think, for us, some kind of a false initiative whereby we could we could get a, a small little payment every week and we could work on a on a little teaser for the film. So we made a little a little small teaser um, which is maybe a minute or two minutes long. I think Paul managed to get Brendan Gleeson to do a little voiceover for it. And we took it to animation markets. Tom and Paul took it over to Cartoon Forum, I think, and presented this project that we wanted to do. And that's where um, we met uh, Didier Brunet of uh, Les Amateurs, which is a French studio. They, again, very established studio. For the, for them to have confidence in our film was amazing. So we had the film board in Ireland uh, involved with the project, and then we picked up more partners for the film, and that was the, the beginning of the whole thing, really. And from there, that was obviously huge and went really well. And then there was Song of the Sea. There was, yeah. Um, before we made The Secret of Kells, I had made two short films, one called From Darkness and one called Backwards Boy or Akulin Duluk. So that w- those were the ones where I really kind of cut my teeth and understood what it was to, to make something with the beginning, middle and end, you know, and handle things like sound design and, and music and score and all of that. So, um, yeah, so by the time it came to the, the Secret of Kells, by the time we actually got all the funding together to make the, the film, we kind of understood what was involved, you know. Um, but it was at a time where we were still drawing on paper. We were shipping the paper around the world. So that was it was a baptism of fire, certainly. And then yeah, it was it was a, a great success. Our company had gone from something like 10 people to 75 in the space of a few months we at the same time that we were making The Secret of Kells we were making a TV series so um, yeah it was, it, was, it was an incredibly creative time but stressful as well because we you know we, we'd be we were big employers you know yeah <laughs> so trying and to and that hadn't been necessarily part of the plan when no. you were thinking about getting lost in, in uh, something absolutely yeah yeah you know your responsibilities kind of came and hit you you know all the square in the face I guess uh, at, the, at the same time so so yeah but when we started with uh, Song of the Sea then it was I guess we, we went on to make a whole series of new mistakes you know which is I think every every project is its own learning experience I guess um, and with the success of The Secret of Kells with its Oscar nomination it gave us a, a stability I think in the company where we were being taken seriously on a global level Was that incredible or expected when, when the first one came the Oscar nominations I mean um, that must have been just No that was that was not expected yeah it was um it was a huge shock and a surprise uh, to us. 
well, we were making that film. Tom had been blogging about it, you know, one of the early blogs, you know, but uh, so he'd 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 been, you know, um, when blogging was cool. Like. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he he was uh, posting up, you know, uh, drawings that we had done, designs, you know, um, and and uh, all our experiences of making the film, and this had kind of gathered a bit of a following uh, in the states, you know. So you had um, animators in Pixar used to follow it, uh, mm. and to this day, you know, people still, you know, talk about it. Um, as being something that you know that that they, they really looked at and, and admired, I guess. Um, but yeah, we we gathered, managed to gather enough votes, I guess. Um, we had a, a, an incredible uh, lady called Jamie Bolio as well in in the United States, who I think you know made DVDs and handed them out to you know people in the in the industry over there just to make them aware of the film because she had discovered it when she was working in in animation in Scotland and uh, she she had seen what we were doing over here in in, in Ireland and. Um, and just wanted to promote it. So it, it was a real grassroots thing where people just were fans of animation and liked what we were trying to do with the with the, the film. And uh, yeah, so yeah, it was an incredible surprise. And then Song of the Sea, like you say, making some new mistakes because it was a new project, but again, really successful. Yeah. And yeah. A, another Oscar nomination. Another Oscar nomination, yeah. Um, it, like it, Oscar nominations are fantastic because they bring a, a focus to, to what you're doing. But really, the worth in what you're doing is when an audience goes to see the film in the cinema or somebody gets the DVD or watches it online or whatever, you know, watches their film. Um, that's the big prize, you know, and that's the, the thing that we're all wanting, because at the end of the day, your films are about communicating a story to an audience, you know. So f- for me and for Tom and for Paul, I think that's that's the big win, you know, Um the, the, the Academy is an, an incredible organization and it's wonderful to see film being celebrated at that level. And it makes, uh, you know, I love this time of year because everybody's talking about what's their favorite film. Why do they like this film and not the other film? Mm-hmm. What do they think? That, you know, so it, it becomes um, everybody talks about story for a while. And for me, that's really amazing. And tell me about the breadwinner then. Um, so what is the story of the breadwinner? What, what do you yeah. need to tell people about it? The f- the breadwinner is about a young girl called Parana who's growing up in Afghanistan during the Taliban regime. Um, it's at a time where young girls and women weren't allowed outside without a male relative to accompany them. It had been a, a time where the Afghan people had gone through decades of war uh, at that point, you know, um, and it was it was really difficult for children in particular and, and women. Um, so Parana's father is arrested and she cuts her hair and dresses as a boy in order to provide for her family because at the moment that he's arrested is the moment she has to become an adult and she has to take on the responsibility of an adult and I first came across Deborah Ellis's book when Jerry and Paul um, from from the studio brought the book to me from uh, these two Canadian producers uh, Anthony Leo and Andrew Rosen who had had the rights to Deborah Ellis's book for a number of years and they, they had seen The Secret of Kells and they wanted to see if we wanted to get involved in, in, in making this film. So I read it, I read Deborah's book in an evening and absolutely fell in love with the, the character of Parana and the way that Deborah writes for older children, you know. She doesn't talk down to them, she it talks in a way that, that is quite matter-of-fact about uh, some of the more challenging aspects of a, a life like Parana's but but she also celebrates the the strength of young girls and the spirit of of, of characters like like Parana. So, the idea of putting that on the screen was very exciting. And because we're an independent studio, and because we've been working for years with different uh, companies around the world, it's possible to make a film that's not 
you know, about merchandise or it's not about selling fast food. It's about uh, it's about story, you know, and story has been something I've been chasing all my life and characters like Piranha I've been chasing all my life and to, to try and um, find the truth about her and to try to get a, a crew together that that feel as enthusiastic uh, uh, about telling a story like that as uh, as I do was just uh, incredibly exciting. Mm. And you're the director. So mm. is this is your first Oscar nomination as director. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, because looking at the little credits on, there is a, a note of somebody quite famous involved in this film. And I have to ask you better, Angeline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apart from you, Nora, very famous. But Angeline Jolly is uh, is one of the executive producer. Or? Yeah, she's an executive producer on the project. How did that happen? Early on, we um, two, three of our other executive producers, uh, uh, John Levin, Jahan Nujem and Kareem Amir. Jahan and, and Kareem had uh, made a documentary called The Square about the uprising in Egypt uh, a few years back. They had been working with Angelina and um, we, we were all kind of, you know, we were, we were talking about, you know, somebody who could really add an extra dimension to this film and, and help pull it out, you know, beyond obscure indie into the, the you know, the mainstream media and that. Um, so we we talked about Angelina, but didn't really think it was a possibility that you know that she would get involved in a project like this. But uh, John and and Jahan and, and and Kareem managed to get the the screenplay in front of her. We were fully funded at that point, but we read an early draft of the screenplay and we had some preliminary drawings done. And she read it and uh, yeah wanted to to meet me, so I, I flew over. Oh, hang on a second, okay. So you're in work. Yeah. Um, the email come. What happens? The email comes through, or oh god, I can't, I can't come remember. Come on, Nora, I, I think it was, well, detail. Okay. Well, Cherry, Cherry and work. I think said, you know, can you, can you, would you, would you be able to go to LA like tomorrow or something? <laughs> so to meet Angelina, to meet Jean. Angelina, and uh, and talk to her about the the breadwinner and no pressure, you know. <laughs> and literally, you got yeah. a plane the next day. Got on a plane. So you get on the plane. Is it first class? Do they, did she fly you or what, what happened? Cartoon Saloon f- uh, f- flew me. But yes, it was first class because <laughs> I had to be back in meetings, uh, you know, oh, the, okay. at the end of the week. Right. So and then you get out. Um, and is there Angelina's car to meet you or somebody's car to meet no, you? No, no, I no. I, I, I made my way to, uh, yeah, to where her, her office uh, was. And, um, and were you nervous? Or am I just yeah, being totally starstruck no, here? Because I just think like, I was she's quite those nervous. Super famous person, mm-hmm. you know. No, but I managed to get lost and get out of the the, the taxi cab at the wrong place. So by the time <laughs> I actually arrived, I was completely flustered and sweaty and just delighted that I had arrived. At, you know, about with about two minutes to spare. So that got rid of whatever nerves I had. And, um, at the time, luckily, I didn't have like half an hour in a waiting room or anything like that to kind of you know work myself up. So um, so yeah, I, I w- yeah walked into the room and it's funny when you meet somebody as famous as that because they look so familiar I'd seen and you her think in, you know them or something yeah, yeah I'd seen her in magazine stands in the airport you know on my way <laughs> to, to 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 LA so um uh but that that can work for you as well because they look familiar it feels like you know you could be talking to a friend you know because their face are that is that familiar um and of course she is a really gracious person very down to earth very warm so she would put you at ease pretty quickly you know as well so um, so yeah, we began to talk about the breadwinner, the project, uh, what we hope to to achieve with it, the story sensibility, and the hope in the film. I think that was the big thing for her was to how to how to represent hope in a film 
that is quite complex and that um, wants to um, explore such complicated subject matters as young girls growing up in in conflict, uh, a place like Afghanistan, which has had decades of intervention, uh, decades of proxy wars, uh, millennia, you know, really, uh, when you look back even over the last couple of hundred years, you know, the the great game between Britain, uh, the British Empire and and uh, and Russia all the way through to the present day, I guess. Um, So she was quite mindful of all of that and wanted us to try and be as mindful as, as she was in in crafting the story all the way through to the the casting of the film you know she wanted us to try to find as many afghan voices as we could for the film um but again a low a low uh, budget um co-production didn't necessarily mean that we could go to kabul to to cast our film so uh we went to we are we were going to be recording our voices in toronto but our casting director managed to find about 50% of our cast are, are Afghan or their parents came from Afghanistan during the Taliban regime or and during the communist regime before that. Um, so it was a really interesting proje- uh, process. But yeah, it was it was incredible to work with Angelina. So what's she like? She is a really nice, really down to earth lady. She's a human being like everybody else. What's so interesting about <laughs> Angelina, I think not so much. You know, she's she's wonderfully encouraging, certainly as a as a as a female filmmaker to have another female filmmaker and one that listens quite a bit, you know, and is quite understanding and uh, understands the restrictions of working uh, with a budget and with a schedule and always took into account my restrictions, you know, and, and wanted me to try and, you know, be as creative as I could within those restrictions, which was really great. You know, it wasn't um, it wasn't what I imagined having such a huge name, I guess, attached to the project uh, would be like. But what's interesting is, I guess, or what's more interesting to me is the way that other people behave around her, you know, rather than <laughs> everybody. Say, you can see you could, Nor you could own. never bring me with you to <laughs> You can see just oh, I'm all right. Once, once I settle down, I'm fine. <laughs> no, go on. But it's, it's just that now's my chance. You yeah. Know, kind of yeah. thing. You see that you see people just wanting to approach her for the sake of approaching. Yeah. Her, not because, you know, they've you know, something to say or because, you know, there's something to communicate. It's just like, but she's uh, and again, and she must have had a lifetime at this at, at, at this point point you know but but she's uh, very calm about it and very you know gives everyone their their moment and that so I mean that's that's interesting you know mm. seeing how she and her family you know uh, managed to um, you know get by in, in what must be very strange circumstances Absolutely. on a daily basis and will that be sort of will she be there on the night and you'll be hanging out is that kind of the plan at the Oscars I'm not sure if she can make it to, to, to the Oscars she was with us on the red carpet uh, for the Toronto uh, premiere of the film which was really amazing for our cast you know um, again like none of our cast were known outside of uh, Canada you know so so to have her stand on the camera with them and celebrate with them was really really amazing she came to the animation as film LA premiere uh, of the film as well and she came to the Annie Awards the Annie Awards are industry animation industry awards uh, that celebrate things like um, art direction or voice cast you know things that we wouldn't uh, normally see in, in a, in a uh, film um, award ceremony so she came and sat uh, with her daughters and with uh, Sarah Chowdhury, our, our, uh, the actor who plays Parwana, and um, yeah, celebrated with the best of us. Brilliant. Um, is your mum still alive? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what does she make of all of this? Because it's nice the way you described her as a very understanding person. And, you know, a lot of parents would be forgiven for freaking out when, say, their child sort of doesn't fit into what is supposed to happen. Yeah. So it must be the fact that they, she did let you go your own way. That must be a great relief to see how successful you've been as well. Yeah. My mum's quite elderly now at this point, but she's very proud of all of her children, you know, and she's, uh, yeah, she's an amazing lady and certainly somebody I look up to quite a bit. And what about your um, siblings? Because six of them, I presume, all doing different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, there, is there any slagging or any kind of, oh, I'm worried about Nora getting uh, too um, big for her boots kind of thing? No, no, yeah. I, don't, I can't see it really, but anyway, just in case. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I mean, they're all they're all very supportive, you know, really. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think anything can can shock them at, <laughs> at this point, you know. So. So, yeah, no, but they're, you know, I mean, we, I've, uh, big Irish families are always a, a really good thing and a, a supportive thing. So, yeah. You know, what about your sister, who's also artistic? Did she go on to do? Um, no, no, I know she she didn't, you know, I mean, and again, I think with the 70s and the 80s, it wasn't really seen as as a as a career, you know, and I think certainly I kind of ricocheted off you know, in some weird direction uh, out of school. And had I stayed, I often wonder would I have would I have ended up doing animation at all? Probably not. You know, probably I would have seen sense, you know. Um, and and that was the thing, you know, is that, that that you would hope. And I, again, you know, there were times of high unemployment. Um, opportunities weren't weren't huge in the country. We didn't necessarily tend to look at ourselves for in terms of creating opportunities. We were looking at you know big companies to come in and and save us, I guess, in in a way as well. So you know, the the the, the industry has blossomed in in a way you know when I left college and seeing brown bag and monster animation terrorlift all of the different companies set up um and and begin to uh, uh, you know employ people around them and you know um, make a real opportunity for people who would otherwise have gone to the US and worked for the big studios or gone to work in the games industry you know to to create opportunities for that within the country mm. is incredible and it's really down to you know um, uh, Enterprise Ireland, the Irish Film Board, you know, um, the Broadcasting Commission of Ireland, all supporting uh, Irish industry, you know, in a way that uh, you don't see results, uh, you know, in an election term. Really, it's it's something like you know, ten years and and twenty years down the line, you begin mm-hmm. to see results. Uh, for for things like that, for investment like that. Um, you, you're, it's interesting here. You talk about the breadwinner in terms of the female character, and I think that's something that's happening too. That animation studios and and uh, the, the the big ones particularly are realizing that you know little girls want to see themselves in in different ways than perhaps maybe when you were a kid watching out for those Disney princess movies. That there's other scope for portraying women and girls. Are you was that what, what drew you to it as well? Um, I think what 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 drew me to the 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 film wasn't necessarily seeing Piranha as a girl it was seeing her as Piranha you know in the in much the same way as you or I don't get up every morning and see ourselves as female you know we see ourselves as 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 who we are and we we proceed from there and we don't necessarily see the the limitations that other people might want to impose on us um so that was the my wish for Piranha that she would just be herself and let the 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 film would express her spirit I guess or her her drive, um, her creativity, her boundless energy. Um, a, you know, she's she's somebody who, you know, things happen to her, but 
but she is always herself, I guess, you know. Um, uh, th there are other women in this film as well. I think it's interesting to see the, the journey uh, that her mother takes and the journey her sister takes in this film. They're all explorations of what it is to be uh, female, I guess, you know, but um, but they each take it in a, in a, in a different direction. Um, it's interesting seeing within the industry, uh, I, when I started in college, in animation college, I think I was one of a handful of, of women in my year. And then it, that's changed so much in the last years. I walk into any of the colleges now and you see at least 50-50, if not a bias towards uh, female students, you know. So, I mean, that's all changing and it's all uh, to the good, you know, mm. and, and being a, a, a director in the industry, I was more mindful in, in recent years of my role as somebody who can encourage other women in, you mm. know in the industry and create a realistic uh, expectation you know as well because when I had my 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 two boys um my husband left uh, work to 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 raise my uh, my two boys and we would wheel them in to work beside me and they would make lots of noise and clatter around the place in the studio but it normalized family life you know and that can only be a good thing and it can only be a good thing for storytelling when you have stories that are told by 50% of the world's population when it you know when families are welcomed into the workspace where um, we are more realistic about what's you know expected in terms of the workday uh, etc you know we, we, we have to be happy you know <laughs> that's very important what did your husband do before he gave it up to mind the kids we met in we met in college back in Colossus Stefan Neff back in Cork um, so so uh, he initially did animation um, and he worked in Cartoon Saloon for a couple of years. Then he went into youth work and he became an art therapist. So, yeah, so that's what he used to do before. I so you met him. very young then? We Yeah, I was in my early 20s and so was he. Yeah. So, yeah, we've been together over 20 years now. Well, listen, you're going off to L.A. again. It seems like second nature now. It's not a big deal. I, I'm, I'm the one who's totally starstruck. You're grand with it all. Um, I was thinking you should meet Winona Ryder, though, because you look very like her. And I think really? you fit in very well there because I keep looking at you, seeing her. Um, but when you go over, there is just speaking about women and, and what's happening over there. The Me Too movement um, is so huge and time's up and all mm -hmm. that. You know, there's such a, a change happening and such a such a change in perception about women and harassment and all that thing. So what are your observations of Me Too and Time's Up and all that kind of thing? I just hope that it's something that lasts, you know, um, uh, pointing out that the, the, the industry is a completely unequal place is something that needs to be done on a regular basis. In ways, I'm cushioned here in Ireland. I grew up, you know, it, 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 metaphorically within the, the, the industry here. Uh, it's always when I walked into Brown Bag, it was 50 50, you know, when a cartoon saloon was something where, you know, it was never an issue what gender you were, you know, was what how you could draw what your skills were, you know. So um, honestly, lots of it is a shock to me, you know, because I've, I've only ever dipped into um, this really old studio system in, in, in Los Angeles, you know. Um, so it's it's really positive I think you know to, to, to see women using their voices um, in a way to draw attention to because we're used to coping you know women are used to just you know just grin and bear it you know um, so it's, so to see the culture changing is really really healthy and I really really it's something I really want to to support and to see more of you know I've been tweeting more about directing you know uh, then then again I would I would see uh, or that I would uh, normally have done 
just so that uh, again I just I'm conscious that there are young women coming up there that need to see other women in the industry they need to see us old fogies kind of, you know <laughs> uh, pushing our way through and elbowing through and making sure that um, that 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 we are 50% of the storytellers mm-hmm. of this world well we'll be watching with great interest anyway and cheering from afar hopefully um, that it's a win but I mean to be nominated is great and as yeah. you say for people to like what you do and to appreciate it and want to go and see it in the cinema or mm. get it on DVD that's really the reward yeah, and the sign that, um, that people are loving it but uh, tell Angelina we said hello tell her we'd love her to come on uh, the podcast sometime if yeah. she's ever free so if <laughs> she's ever visiting you you can say yeah you should go in here it's a great podcast will do I will we're lying on you Nora oh. Okay, all right. <laughs> what are you working on now, though? What's the next project? I'm working with a writer uh, a, in Los Angeles called Meg Lefov, who's writing on a, a project um, which we've been developing for a long time, actually. She wrote on Inside Out and oh, Captain Marvel. So she's an incredible writer. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really, really proud to be working with with her on a feature film. So, um, yeah, so we're really looking forward to. Can you tell us what it's more. about? It's called uh, My Father's Dragon. It's based on a 50 year old uh, book, an American book by uh, um, an amazing writer called Ruth, Ruth Stiles Gannett. Um, so, yeah, we, it's it's in its early days. We're at early uh, draft stage. But um, yeah, so Cartoon Saloon uh, is working on that next. Brilliant. Well, probably an- another Oscar nomination. It seems like, you know, you have to get one. No if you pressure. don't get one, everyone knows yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, not like, making what? films, making Oscar nominations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Nora, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you and I wish you the best of luck with everything you do, but particularly with that particular night in March, which <laughs> is very, very exciting. Very Thanks. Thank you. And that's all we have time for this week. I really hope we'll be toasting Nora and Cartoon Saloon's success with the breadwinner on Sunday night. She's a really lovely and so talented woman. Hopefully uh, it will prove that she's third time lucky for the Irish Animation Studio. Today's podcast was produced by Jennifer Ryan with Rob O'Sullivan on sound. I'm Roisin Ingle. Until next time, thanks for listening.